0: Thank you for joining us on our continued series on the Book of Psalms. We're doing an expository teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's going to take us quite a while. We're only in the seventh chapter today, but uh, it's well worth the journey. It's well worth the effort when we get to know the heart of God, when we get to know the desires that God has for us. There's something worth our time, something so precious. And I know you know that, something so precious in the Word of God that brings life to us. As we've been studying the Psalms, I, I just want to take a quick moment to review what we've been looking at. Psalm chapter 1 is the, starts with the blessed is the man, and that is an introduction really to the whole book of Psalms. And then from chapter 2 on up to where we are even today, we see a lot of the difficulty that David is finding himself in, the trials, the tribulations, the struggles that he faces. Chapter 2, verse 1, why are nations raging and peoples plotting vain things, taking counsel against the Lord and His anointed? Uh, this is, as you've listened to the past few weeks of this series, you'll know this is when Absalom raised, raised up against him and just began to try to overthrow his government. And he begins to see this rage that's against him. Chapter 3, he continues, How many are my foes? Chapter 4, he starts off by uh, talking about, Give me a relief in my distress. Chapter 5, Give ear to my words, consider my groaning. Chapter 6, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, be gracious to me. Uh, I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes are waste away because of grief, grief because of all of my foes. David is a man starting this book of Psalms, confessing his trials and tribulations, his troubles to the Lord. And that's why it's such a good book to relate to. So many of us are facing things in our life that uh, cause our hearts to grieve or be sorrowful. It's a struggle that we have, we offer to the Lord. And the book of Psalms gives us words, it gives us prayers, it gives us psalms. And songs, and it's just it's so precious, and I'm so grateful that God has called me to be a preacher of His Word, and I love to dig into the Word and see what God has to say to us. And so we're in Psalm chapter seven today. Let me read it, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about something that I believe is very important. As David continues to confess his struggles, but now he switches gears from something that's physical to something that's more emotional, and when it comes to the heartache of his of his soul, so. Let let me read this first. The Shigion of David, this is the introduction, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words. The title of my message today is Overcoming Accusations and Wounds. And you see right from the very introduction, even before we get into verse 1, David is saying concerning the words, something said against him, one of his enemies speaking against him. It is lies, accusations being thrown up against this man of God. And how is David going to deal with that? concerning the words of Cush of Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it, rending it into pieces with none, with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I had done this, if, I, if there was wrong in my hands, if I had repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let Let the enemy then pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the people be gathered around you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity of my heart that is in me. And according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous who test the minds and the hearts, O righteous God. You test them, is what he's saying. You test the minds and the hearts. In verse 10, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge a God who feels indignation every day. A man, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrow fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies, or another translation says gives birth to falsehoods. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descend. Last verse, I will give thanks to the Lord, do his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Father God, we open up your word and we say, feed us. We are hungry and thirsty for you. Lord, we don't need pop psychology. We don't need... uh, uh, counsel from the ungodly. We need to dig into your word. And it's in your word we find life. It's in your word we find hope. It's in your word we find deliverance from accusations, from lies, from satanic attacks, from the evil enemy who tries to drag our soul down. And I thank you now in the name of Jesus, you'll give your messenger the opportunity to preach hope, to preach life, to preach victory, to preach overcoming the harassment, the the accusations, the assignments of the enemy against us, and the wounds that they cause, we will be healed, we will be delivered, and we will sing praise. And I give thanks for that. In the glorious name of Jesus Christ, amen. The Shigayon of David, in the words which he sang to the Lord, how beautiful, but it was, his song was concerning the words of Cush Benjamite. The main theme here is the accusations that tear at the soul We we read about that, the lion tearing at the soul. And I believe that the purpose that the Holy Spirit has set out before us in this scripture is the overcoming, helping us overcoming, or the healing of the wounds from the accuser. Whether that accuser be a person, or whether that accuser be Satan himself, or his demons who come against us, we believe there's a standard that the Lord will raise up against that. Now David has been in battle himself with bears, with lions, with giants, with kings. He has fought against armies and internal rebellions against his his authority. But we rarely see him so distraught. The language in Psalm 7 is a man who's under duress, a man who's in pain, a man who's suffering, a man who's facing sorrow of his soul and heart. We see him uh, very much, uh, uh, not so much like this, even at times where Uh, Kings are coming against him. Nations are coming against him where he's fighting major battles. This is an internal battle of his soul because he's heard people say things about him that are false, that, that cut to the core of who he is as a man of integrity and righteousness. And this is a wound to his heart. And what's causing him so much grief and anguish? We find our answer in the headline, it's concerning the words. Have you ever been concerned about words? Words that have been said of you, spoken of you? This is exactly what David is facing here. His soul is overwhelmed by words, by accusation, by the lies of those who mean him harm, mean to bring him down, mean to trouble his heart so that his actions would be a man depressed, a man discouraged, a man in fear, a man in confusion, a man without confidence, a man without boldness. These are what these words are intended to do. These are what those arrows that fly into your heart and to mine are intended to do. And and its an attempt to bring down a whole kingdom, really, not just a man the 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 words that the enemy. Uh, signs against us are not just to bring you down to a place of discouragement, but to the work that you're involved in, to the family that you lead, to the ministry, to the organization that you're a part of, to the church that you go to, to the neighborhood that you share the gospel in. The attempts of the enemy is to get you so discouraged, so wounded, so distraught that you have nothing left of that spiritual vitality, of that spiritual unction to go ahead fully in all the things that God has for you. Some commentaries when we talk about Cush the Benjamite, uh, say that, that he was an ally of King Saul who himself was a Benjamite. As a matter of fact, King Saul's father's name was Kish and there might be a, a link to that. It might even be a family member. might even be his father uh, who, who is accusing David uh, um, of, of, of these, these vile things. And, and so it's, it, David's trouble here is not that armies are chasing him, not that he's hiding in rocks and caves that he had to do. You remember when Saul was chasing him but it's words that are being said, accusations that are brought against him. Let's look at verse 2, and then we'll go back to verse 1. But I want to start our verse-by-verse study of this in verse 2, because he describes what these accusations, why his soul is so troubled. He describes them in very vivid fashion and manner. He says, Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none, no one. Nothing can deliver me when I'm torn apart like this at least until he begins to speak about something else here we'll read in just a moment. And this is a picture of David. You know, when he's saying this, it's not some random picture. It's something he's, uh, I'm sure he's seen as a shepherd. He's seen sheep in his flock where lions come. And oftentimes, you know, we know that he's killed a bear, he's killed a lion, and he's just ripped the jaws of it out. But that, the, the, the picture is he, he has seen this. He has seen the, 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 the roaring lion. He's seen the teeth clenching and falling upon its prey, and then ripping it apart here. This word, rending it into pieces, is not just that it rips it, but it, the Hebrew here speaks about like throwing pieces, r- pulling it apart, just devouring this thing, like a, almost like a lion, or if you've ever seen a fierce dog with his head shaking on a bone, and just things flying out. Uh, this seems like something that's a hopeless situation. In other words, the, the destruction is so vast, it's beyond repair and we we see this as david is saying there's just it doesn't feel like there's no it feels like there's no hope you know in our culture today we find things moving fast and furious when it comes to words and accusations even unlike david's generation where you know maybe somebody sent him a message through a messenger that came from another country and occasionally somebody in his kingdom absalom or saul Others had risen up against him. And so you would see accusations. He would have to face this. But you know what? You and I are facing accusation and lies, words, concerning words said against us almost every day of our life. If you have a phone, if you have social media, if you have Facebook, if you make a comment on the Facebook, if you put a picture there, you might get these words, these concerning words. And I know this doesn't compare to what David was facing, but nonetheless, there is something in our heart Psychologists tell us that every time they've studied the brain, every time you get a thumbs down or a unlike one of your followers, it actually does something chemically and, and electrons go on in your brain. The same thing it would be as if you were physically attacked. And so if this is happening to you every day, we're seeing an increase through social media uh, as, as mean-spirited, unfiltered, cruel, thoughtless, purposeful, purposefully painful words are spoken and delivered to you every day and night, right into your phone, and uh, these things create something negative in our life. <clears throat> Other studies have told us that words can be just as painful as physical wounds. A study on the brain showed pictures of people uh, that uh, a, a couple that, and they had broken up or gotten divorced, and they would sit them down in a chair and sent electrons to their uh, to their head, and so they could study this, the brain function. And when they put that picture in front of these people, it showed the depression, or the anger, or the discouragement. And then they had the person put their hand on a, uh, I guess you call it like a hot plate, not to to burn or sear the the thing, but just just enough to where it would cause somebody to want to pull away. And they found out it's the exact same brain function as the physical wound, as it was the emotional wound, the same place in the brain, the same uh, lighting up of the brain of this danger-warning-type chemical release in the body. And so the body understands it's not just physical pain, but it's this emotional pain, these things. One author who wrote about the the extreme verbal abuse that she had for years as a child, she wrote that she wished she had had some physical instead of emotional wounds so that people could see her wounds and her scars visibly. Maybe then, she says, people would ask, me, what's wrong? People would ask me, what's happening, and people would know there was something wrong. And she would not be all alone. And so sometimes physical pain, physical scarring, physical wounds can be visible, where a lot of these are invisible. And that's why David is so preciously bringing these things to the Lord. That's why you and I are called to bring these things to the Lord, because oftentimes we are very much alone in the pain and the suffering of these words, these wounds. These accusations, these lies spoken about us uh, many, many years ago, my oldest son, when he was a, a boy now, now he's a full-grown man now, and he's muscular, he's fit. Uh, he looks like an Olympic gymnast. He's got muscles bulging everywhere. He's in the best condition of anybody. I've seen him probably in my life. But when he was younger, as an elementary school, early elementary age, uh, he had grown to be very quite a bit overweight. And people would make fun of him and poke at his belly and grab his chest and say, you look like a woman. And, and uh, that anger got up in him and he, he would get in fights. And he told me he got fight after fight after fight, just the, the, the people mocking and ridiculing, bullying him. But I didn't know that until years later, until he was grown-up. And when he told me that, it, it caused such anger and grief and woundedness to my own soul. I can't believe I allowed that to happen to my son. I wish I had known. I wish I could have done something. Now that's me secondhand, so to speak, even though it hurts as a father to see their son in that condition. But imagine what he went through. And I can't even begin to imagine what you've been through. Some of you through divorces. Some of you through family situations. Some of you through verbal child abuse. Some of you who had pastors say things over you or teachers say things over you. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. You won't survive. You're not a Christian. You don't live right. You don't love well. You don't do this right. You're not good enough. And these words begin to get into our mind. And sometimes we even rehearse them over and over again. Uh, uh, This is who I am my accusers are right what they're saying about me maybe it's right enough people have said that about me maybe it's right and we need to have the mind of the lord and have the wisdom of god to understand the difference between something that we could own and look at and say like these people are saying this about me and i understand that and i need to have discernment and if there's some things i need to change in my life uh so be it but also we need to understand when the enemy is attacking you and when he's lying about you when he's trying to drag you down, to tear you to pieces where you have no strength, no energy, no movement left in your life. And if you're one of the few today, listening to my voice, who have not had these kind of lies and accusations from friends, from family, from teachers, from neighbors, from church members, if you're one of those few, exceptional few that have never had this, then I know for sure you've had this. You've had the lie of Satan against you. You've had him accuse you firsthand. You've had him come against you. You've had him put wounds into your heart. You've had him lie over your soul, spirit, mind, and body to cause you fear, confusion, doubt, guilt, condemnation, and shame. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage on us, for we are not ignorant, of his devices. He has these devices. He has these schemes. He has these tools. He has these weapons. And what are these devices? What are these things that he tries to use to take advantage of us? John 8, 44 tells us the answer to this. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies." How profound is Jesus' teaching here? Everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. You've heard the old saying, how do you know when the devil's lying? When he opens up his mouth. He doesn't know how to speak the truth. So if you're hearing this accusation, if you're hearing something from the enemy, then you can immediately know the opposite is true. That it's not God's uh, plan for you, or God saying that over you, or God speaking that over you. It's the enemy speaking that over you. Zechariah chapter 3, 1, continuing this thought. Says, he then showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. What a beautiful picture. The high priest standing before the presence of the Lord. There he is, there's the Lord, and he's standing in his presence. And then listen to this part. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord right in front of him, and Satan right there at his right hand. And 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 there's this picture you can picture this conversation. God saying, You're holy. And the enemy saying, you're unrighteous. And God saying, you've been cleansed. And you're saying, you're unclean. You've been justified. You're not right with God. Just constantly harassing and haranguing the people of God. You see, the people who are lost don't get this as much as Christians because Satan already has them living under their lie. But once you're a Christian, you start believing the truth. The attack comes all out. If you are under attack today, don't be discouraged don't give up. Don't feel guilt and shame. Realize that you're one of God's special anointed ones. You're standing in His presence, and that's where the enemy attacks the most. So take heart and, and be bold and be courageous and saying, you know what? In the middle of this lies and these accusations, I'm going to listen to this voice, not that one. I'm going to listen to this God, not that liar. And you'll find courage and strength coming into your body and into your soul. To see what the psalmist did with such painful accusations, we need to go back to verse 1 briefly. And in verse 1 it says, Oh Lord, my God. He personalized it. The one standing in front of him, it's my God. It's not just some random God of the universe. It's not just some, although he is a high and lofty God, but he's me, mine. He's right here with me. He's precious to me. He's, he's the, oh Lord, my God. He doesn't say, oh Lord, the God. He says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Now in verse 2, you remember we just read that. He says that that there's no hope of deliverance once you get torn apart like this. And so he's asking God to move quickly before he gets torn apart, torn in pieces where there's no remedy left. But he's saying, you can deliver me. You can stop the mouth of the lion. You can shut the mouth of the lion just like God did when Daniel was thrown into those lion pit and he shut their mouth and uh, all night long he stayed with them even though they were hungry and had not eaten. We see that God shuts the mouth of lions. He is the deliverer. David relies here, listen to this, on the nature and the character of God. Knowing God, listen carefully, knowing God, who he is, what he's like, what his mind is like, what his heart is like, what the Trinity is like, what his attributes are like. Knowing the heart, character, and nature of God is a strong tower against the arrows of accusation. In this chapter, we hear a song that sings of God's righteousness, of his holiness, of his truthfulness, of his powerful omnipotence. He's all-powerful. This is a song that's being sung, and he has power over the enemy. Knowing God is knowing peace. Knowing God is knowing security. Knowing God is knowing triumph. Knowing God is knowing overcoming the voice of the liar. Knowing God is even knowing the voice of the liar. You know when you're hearing something because you're aligning it to the truth. It's different. You're hearing a different voice. You're not going to chase after that voice or believe that voice because God's voice is the one speaking to you. And so so David is saying in verse 1, you are my deliverer. It's you that I take refuge. The, The intro says... Introduction says, David sang a song to the Lord. This, this chapter is a song that he sang. To me, that's so precious. Man, when I hear this, I just, it overwhelms my heart with joy. This is a song that God is singing, excuse me, that David is singing to God. And, and, and in this song, he sings to the Lord. He, I love this. He's not writing an enemy to confront. He's not writing a letter to his enemies to confront them. He's not, he's not appealing to an earthly judge to contend in this matter. He's not calling on his army to come up against this and fight. He's not writing letters to the local newspaper, uh, uh, putting an editorial in there saying, do you see how bad these men are? He doesn't name them in a sermon like a lot of pastors they They up in a sermon and say, elder so and so. No, he's not naming them in sermons. No, he doesn't do that. No, instead he sings to the Lord. He sings away his pain. He sings away his sorrow. He sings away his struggles. He sings away these wounds. He sings away these hurts. He's presenting it to the Lord. I sing my song to the Lord, a song of deliverance, a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving. We see this in Paul in the New Testament. He said, I, I, I sing with my mind in other words, with words I understand, I, like David did, I, there's words, but you know in the New Testament, we have one one extra step we can take, as Paul says in uh, in, in in Corinthians, I can I can sing it in my mind, but I also can sing in the spirit. that's so precious. so many times my soul has been encouraged, lifted up as I would just be in my room or in my study or in my library and just and just just quietly just singing a song sometimes. Sometimes, Lord, bless the Lord be here, Lord be present, but oftentimes then just moving into that groaning, that singing in the spirit, words that that, that your mind couldn't comprehend. You're singing uh, spiritual words to combat, a, to combat a spiritual battle. You're fighting uh, spiritual elements with a spiritual warfare. And this is so glorious that God's given us this gift, this ability to sing with our mind and our understanding, and also yet to sing in the spirit. I encourage you to sing to the Lord when you're hurting, when you're wounded, when somebody says something about you, when something in your marriage uh, is, is an argument is said and foul words are spoken over you and it wounds you, I encourage you, rather than rehearse that, to, to, to constantly come back to the Lord and sing this song. The song is saying, you deliver me. In, in, in verse 2, he says, there's none to deliver, but he says, there's no other source. There's none to deliver except... This one deliverer, it's God. There's no other source. The world may have an emotional Band-Aid to put on something that is uh, tearing apart. But could you, could you picture that? To, to see a lion devour a, a lamb and parts of that lamb all over and somebody comes with a Band-Aid to try to put it together? It, it won't work. But God delivers. He can either heal that lamb or He can shut the mouth of that lion and keep the, the accusations away. This is our deliverer, and there is no other source. Now, in verse 3, we begin to take a, a little bit of a, a shift. David says, O oh Lord, my God, if I had done this, if there had been wrong in my hands, in other words, these accusations that are coming up against me, if I had done those things, uh, if I had done this, and see, David is understanding here is, well, I, had, I certainly have done some things, David, like all of us, was a sinner. And many of his sins were egregious and very violent and very troublesome. And yet he understands that he's cleansed, that he's forgiven, that he's healed. And, if, uh, and, and the, these wounds and these accusations are, are, are far worse when they're lies. If somebody accuses you of something, if you're a liar and somebody says, You're a liar. It's, it's hard for you to be justified. It's unrealistic to be hurt by those words. You might feel embarrassed. You might feel ashamed. But it's hard to feel wounded because someone in their accusation is speaking the truth. No, the pain is in the fact that it's a false accusation. It's a lie. And verse 4 goes on to say exactly what it was he was being accused of. Let's quickly touch on this. Repaying my friends with evil and plundering my enemy without cause. The first one is is very clear. Repaying my friends, they did something good to me, and I speak bad about them. They reward me, and I neglect them. But the second one is a little more confusing in the Hebrew. And the second one says, uh, would read not uh, really, it wouldn't really read plundering, but it would read, read read but delivering my enemies without cause. The Hebrew word there is most often translated in the Old Testament as I've armed or I've equipped. And so what the enemy is saying against David is. Your friends, you have put down, you've hurt, you've wounded, you've discarded, you've come against them. But on the other hand, your enemies, you exalted, you armed them, you lifted them up. Now, why is this such a a wound, hurtful accusation? Why would this be David saying, this feels like he's tearing apart my soul to say that, because it was the very thing that he felt most desirous of happening, that he would be loyal to his friends and that he would be a man of God against his enemies. And now the opposite's being said about him. He's not loyal to his friends. And, and he spends time with his enemies, putting them in position. Why would a man do that? To, to exalt himself, to, to lift himself up, to get people around him that, that believe in him or whatever it might be. And this is what Cush is saying. He's saying David hurts Saul's family and the Benjamites, and he harms Israel while at the same time giving help to the Philistines. And this crushes David's heart. This is where the wounding of the the core of David, the accuser, listen to this carefully. The accuser doesn't always attack our weakness, but more often the accuser attacks our strength. Let me say that one more time. More often the accuser is not attacking our weakness, but he's attacking our strength. He's attacking here David's loyalty. David's love for people, David's love for righteousness and truth and justice. And so he's attacking his strength. Years ago I had two dogs. Uh, one was uh, like a race dog. He was fast. He, he could move quickly through and, and move left and right. He was just speedy. And the other was a, a, a Rottweiler and he was strong and tough. He wasn't very fast, but he had this huge neck and this huge jaw. And oftentimes they would get into arouse, playful fights, or occasionally it would turn into something aggressive. But I I noticed something as they wrestled and fought, and their teeth went after each other. I noticed that they didn't go after the other one's weakness. Now, the weakness on the Rottweiler would have been his legs, because he was slow. The weakness on the the other dog, the the fast dog, would have been his neck, because he wasn't as strong in that area. He was sleek and slender. But the opposite happened when they fought. The the fast dog would go after the strength of the strong dog and, and try to attack his neck. The strong dog would go after the legs of my fast dog, going after his strength. The enemy knows this exact same plot, the same scheme, the same device. He goes after your strength. Now, this is difficult for us, but it's also good news, because the area you're being attacked in is most likely your strength. So if you feel discouraged because you've been accused of being uh, unkind, that might be your greatest strength, or unloving. It might be that God has created you to be a true, genuine lover of God and lover of others. If, if people attack you in the gift that you have, it might be music, it might be uh, teaching, it might be uh, generosity, and people attack you in those areas, I want to tell you to be strong in that area. Be bold in that area because the enemy is attacking your strength because he wants to get at the things that you're best at, that you're called to, so that he could diminish the calling of God on your life, diminish the purpose and the plans. The Bible says in Corinthians, the hand and the foot need one another. But if you are if you're a hand and the enemy attacks that, saying that hand is not good, that will droop. It will diminish. It won't do its purpose. Therefore, the body of Christ in totality will be lacking the purposes and plans that God has and the part He has for you to play in it. Be strong and take courage the fact that the enemy is attacking you. Again, Dave, one of David's greatest gifts and callings was his loyalty. Oh, do you remember how loyal he was to Saul? even when Saul was throwing spears at him and casting him out and lying about him and chasing him through the deserts and through rocks and caves. And David had opportunity many times to kill him, finding him in a cave by himself, finding him asleep at night. And others of his men, (coughs) excuse me, David's own men, would have opportunity to attack him. And David said, don't lay a hand on him. He's the king, God's chosen one. And we are loyal to that anointed one. Touch not, he said, the Lord's anointed. And he had this loyalty, this fierce loyalty and that's exactly what Cush and others are attacking him in, saying he wasn't loyal to Saul. He wasn't loyal to the, to the Israel. He was loyal to the Philistines. He was loyal to the other enemies that ended up attacking Saul. But this was not David's heart, and it broke his heart to hear it. And yet I think he understood what we understand. Uh, the enemy is attacking my strength, my loyalty, my, my ability to be firm in my uh, partnership and help of other people. Let's look. Continue, continue looking. Verse five. David tells the Lord, "If I had done this, then what, what? What? if I'd done this? If I had done these things, then let my accusers take my reputation. Let them let them shout it from the housetops that 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 I am a traitor, that I have not been loyal. Uh, I'll, I'll acknowledge my guilt. If what they're saying is true, let them take my glory and my. In other words, you could say my honor, my the the prestige of my integrity and of my righteousness before the Lord." You see, because later on David speaks about his own innocence, and yet uh, David wasn't fully innocent. We know he had all these other sins in his life, but he had been cleansed. He had been washed. David uh, had, had he humbled himself and he repented, and he'd been forgiven. So he could say to the Lord, uh, in, in, in my integrity. He says that, in, look in verse 8, and we'll go there just a little bit later, but let me touch on it briefly right here. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that is in me. So he's saying, Lord, there's an integrity, there's a righteousness in me. Now, I believe David understood something that was, he was looking forward to, not in detail, but he understood it in part, that, that there would be a Messiah come, a Savior uh, uh, of those who were broken and wounded, sinful and lost. And David understood that to some degree. And I believe, he, like many of the Old Testament, he was looking forward to that other, that other day, that day to come, when on the cross, Jesus would take away our sin so that you could stand before God with what the Bible calls an imputed righteousness, not a righteousness of our own, that's filthy rags, but the righteousness of God put upon us like a new robe and we stand now clean before the Lord. Jesus said to Peter one time, don't call what I've made clean, unclean. And David's doing this here, God's made me clean. I've not been perfect, I've not been sinless, but he's washed me, he's cleansed me, and he's done the same for you. So when the enemy attacks you, you don't have to agree with them, saying, yeah, I'm such a sinner, maybe I deserve this. You see how sad it is that sometimes we tend to agree more with our adversaries, our false accusers, even agreeing more sometimes with Satan himself than we are agreeing with what God says about us. Satan will say something to us, you're a sinner, we'll say, yeah, I'm such a sinner. You're, you're such a loser. Oh, I'm a terrible loser. You're not enough. I'm just, I'm just not enough. And oftentimes we even pray that back to God. Lord, I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not I can't do this. And you see that all throughout Scripture. Moses and others saying, I, I can't speak. Others confessing things to the Lord that the Lord said, no, I've given something different about you. Believing what God believes about you. That's your identity. Understanding who you are in Christ. That in Christ you are cleansed. You are washed. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You have integrity. And so when the enemy attacks you, you can say like David, hey, if I've done these things and, 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 and there are things that, that I didn't do and there are other things that I've repented of, but these things are things I didn't do. And so he, he brings that before the Lord so he can confidently say uh, these, these are accusations from the enemy. These are lies. I'm, I'm clean. I'm righteous. And matter of fact, these very things they're accusing me are things I didn't do. Three quick things that we do when we're in this situation. Number one, is one great antidote to false accusation is a clean conscience. To believe that you are freed from those things, to believe that you've been washed from those things, to, to not uh, hear something from your past and wallow in old guilt and old shame. Isn't that powerful? The great antidote to fault, false accusation is a clean conscience. You could, you could have somebody accuse you of something, and if you've done that very thing, then your conscience is going to be seared or your conscience is going to be pricked. But if you've not done that thing, you're living then in a clean conscience. How do you get a clean conscience? It's through repentance. It's through quick repentance. As soon as you do something, a sin, you say, Lord, please forgive me right now. Wash this thing away from me. You're, You're cleansed then you're washed, you're made whole, and you never have to listen to the accuser saying that you don't have a clean conscience again. Number two, knowing our identity. Who we are in Christ is one of the surest antidotes to to not believing lies. This is who I am. Satan says that, and we go, that's a lie, and we know it, so we need to know who we are by understanding the Word of God, by claiming the Word of God, by digging into the Word of God. You're not going to know this through pop psychology, through a counselor, through listening to people on TV. You're going to get this only through the Word of God. That's why you need to saturate yourself in the Word of God. That's why you need to be hungry and thirsting after the word, day and night, digging into the Word of God so that you have a clean conscience and a full sense of the identity. And number three, confessing of righteousness is a strong remedy to soul-tearing words confessing your righteousness is a, is a strong remedy to, the, to soul-tearing words. David is saying, there's soul, these words that are tearing my soul apart, but now I'm going to claim that I'm righteous, that I have integrity, that these things are not true, and I'm going to stand on what God says about me rather than what Satan and my enemies say about me. It's not David saying, now look how perfect I am, but he's saying, look what God has done in me. It's not saying that I'm um, uh, I've not sinned but it's saying I've been forgiven it's, it's, it's saying he forgave me when I was broken he healed me when I was lost he found me when I was falsely cu- accused he defended me that God is my deliverer verses 6 it then says Okay, if I'm innocent and I have integrity uh, I have that power Like like Elijah prayed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much it doesn't say much about an unrighteous man there Why? Because his prayers will be double-minded, because his prayers will be racked with guilt and shame, because there will be a sense of being undeserving of having God do anything for you, particularly a powerful request, such as Elijah was bringing before the Lord, but the prayer of the righteous. Does that mean a perfect person? Does that mean a sinless person? No. It means somebody who understands the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, that, that we come into that place of the imputed righteousness of Christ over us. And therefore, we could say at any given day, no matter what our performance was like even two minutes ago, right now I stand before the Lord, a righteous man, a holy woman, pure, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now I can pray these bold prayers. The, the, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. Look at this. David's saying the lions are tearing me apart with these words. But now he comes as even a bolder lion, having the strength, the confidence, the boldness of God himself, the deliverer to, to cease and desist all those activities that are coming against him. You and I have that as well. And because David has now this confidence in the imputed righteousness of God over his own life, he's able to say to the Lord, listen to this in verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. You see, He's saying, "My enemies are coming at me with fury. God, rise up even more furious against them." It's not we have God. This picture we have of God, where He's almost sissified, especially Jesus in the New Testament. So many people see Him as 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 milk toast, as 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 mamby pamby, as 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 belittling, belittling Him to His strength. But that, this is this is not just the God of the Old Testament. This is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in in unchanging from yesterday, today, and forever. And David is saying, Rise, O God, in your anger. Lift yourself up in the fury against your enemies. Awake for me, for you have appointed judgment. Three things David says here real briefly. One is arise. The second one is lift yourself. And the third one is awake for me. And in the Hebrew, it's interesting, all three of these words are ascending. They're starting off, Lord, uh, kind of wake up, God. There's, there's enemies out there. And, and then it's, Lift yourself. You, can, you almost picture somebody like coming into battle and they see the battle you're getting ready and all of a sudden, it's the lifting. It's the, it's the show of strength. So David's saying, wake up, arise, lift yourself up. And then the third thing he says, awake for me for you have appointed judgment. And this third word there is, is an action word. And the powerful thing about God is when you come to him, he's not just bringing judgment in the sense of uh, making a statement like, uh, I know you're, I know you're innocent. I'm with you in your innocence. He does more than just state the reality, but he fights on your behalf. He moves out in fierce battle. You see him coming in this strength that he has. He's confident. David is confidently calling on God to rise and take action, to stop his accusers, to bring truth to lies. He's calling on God to judge between the righteous and unholy. And then in verse 7, he goes on even further and says, let the whole assembly of peoples be gathered together, and over it, Lord, you return on high. The Hebrew word might be better saying it is, Lord, I want you to come over the assembly. Gather an assembly around you, of the peoples of Israel, of so people of the nations. Gather them around, and you like a judge that sits in the courtroom uh, over this, usually the judge is seated above in a box, uh, almost like a, like this, this platform here, and he's seated above it, and people are below it, and, and, he, and he's judging over. He's discerning over hearing truth and lies. And the judge is watching these things. And that's what David is painting this picture here. Lord, bring all the assembly together. And you stand up high over them. And you then uh, begin to judge. Let the assembled people be gathered and rule over. Verse 8. The Lord judges the people. And now David makes his plea. Verse 8. Judge me, Lord, according to my righteousness. And according to the integrity that's in my heart. He's making his plea. He's standing before that high and holy and lifted one and saying, God, because of you, you've made my heart clean. You've made me righteous. Now I can be as bold as a lion. Now that my effectual fervent prayer, my cry to you, will avail much, and my enemies will be silenced. <clears throat> In verse 9, he goes on to say, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish your righteousness. See, there's the action point there. This, here's the, the awakening of God, not just to make a decree, not just to, to declare something right and declare something wrong, but actually pronounce judgment against it. To actually move, later on you'll hear about his sword and the bow, but here in this place, what David is, is, is saying to the Lord, you're, 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 you're taking action here. You're bringing this verbal abuse to an end. You're bringing this lie and accusation to the end. You're shutting the mouth of the lion. You're shutting the mouth of the accuser. You're shutting Satan's mouth in my life. You're you're not allowing me to believe it anymore. You're destroying the works of the enemy. You're bringing these things down. What a powerful truth. It is more than Jesus just being there when you're hurting. I've heard counselors talk about this. Something bad happened. Somebody said something to you or somebody abused you. and, and, And some of these counselors will say, well, just picture, listen to this. They'll say, Jesus, just picture Jesus being there with you. I can't picture Jesus being there with me. If I, if I saw him there with me, I would see him just taking the sword, taking the ang- and And here's the painting that David is, here's the picture David is painting here, saying that when God judges, when, when he sees that happening, he, he doesn't just say, I'm here with you in sympathy, or, or I'm, I'm here to comfort you. He does that for sure. And I thank God, he takes one step further. He draws that sword. He gets that bow and says, I'm going to destroy your enemies. Those who have harmed you, I will harm. Those who are unrepentant, we'll read that in just a moment. Those who are unrepentant, I will come up against. And so God is fighting your battles for you. God is fighting your battles for you. You can rest. You can trust. You can believe that he's not just a God of words, but he's a God of action. He's not just a God who has sentiments, feelings, and emotions, but he's a God who takes warlike actions Uh, devastating combat battle actions on your behalf to destroy these words, to destroy these things that are concerning you, like David said, concerning these words of Cush. Verse 10, my shield is with God. The Hebrew there is, is really strange because it doesn't say my shield is with God. That's the translation to help us make sense of it. But the translation here is my shield is on God. Wow. That's a strange way to look at it. In other words, I could carry the shield by myself. I could carry the sword by myself, but it's not sufficient. My sword and my shield are in God's hands, and I am in Christ. I am buried with Christ. I am inside of Him. He is my warrior. He is my righteousness. He is my strong right arm. He is my tower. He is my strength. He is my sword and my shield. It's Him. It's not me, giving, just alone, given these tools, and I go out in battle. And, and there is an element of that in Scripture, Ephesians 6. But in this setting, he's talking about something I think is even slightly more profound in him saying that, that it's, it's, it's my shield's on him, and I'm in him. And so it's the, my enemy is attacking God. And what's that, what effect is that going to have? What impact is that going to have? It's going to go nowhere. As a matter of fact, it's going to fall back on those who bring out this thing. My, my, my shield is on God, who saves the upright in heart. Verse 11, God is a righteous judge, who feels indignation every day. Now, that's something you don't hear very often anymore. Everything now is about God being gentle and lowly, and that's true about him. He certainly is. He's humble, and and he's gracious, and he's kind. But He's also, this is not an occasional um, uproar. It's an everyday thing, that God every day is watching over the earth, and he sees things that cause indignation in his heart causes this fierce anger in his soul, and he rouses himself, and he fights against that, especially when we begin to pray, God, rise, lift yourself, come up against this thing, and that those righteous prayers are availing much in our life. And God is basically saying here, if a man, or David is saying about God, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword or sharpen his sword. He has bent the bow, and he's ready. He has prepared... For him, his deadly weapons, making his arrows as fiery shafts. You see here a picture of God getting ready to go to war. It reminded me when I was reading this this week of uh, of a scene from from a movie where uh, thousands of enemies were marching, and they could see him in a distance. And the men were in the castle, and they were banging on the, the fords, the fiery fords, getting the last of the swords ready, and getting the arrows in their quiver there. And you just sense that that there's there's something uh, in the air. There's something happening, and, and God is getting ready to move in battle. He's getting ready to send His armies against those who would be part of Satan's league of those who would come against the children of God, His own children. Just like I talked about my own son, how that wounded my heart. And and if I were to go back in those times, I would have taken action. I would have gone to that school. I would have gone to those parents, and, and I would have changed things and circumstances. And God, even more so, does these things. But there's a strange twist here. Look, at verse 14, uh, the, the twist is this. Behold, a wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies or falsehood. Verse 15, he makes a pit, digging it out, and he falls into the hole that he's made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends upon this man. I, I, this is probably not really uh, accurate according to the scripture, but here's my, where my imagination goes with this particular story here. God is... is is, is in this castle, and he's he's sharpening his sword, getting his bow and arrow, lighting the edge of the fiery uh, arrows, the the darts to to cast at his enemy. He's getting ready, and a representative of his, maybe an angel comes to him and says, hey, you know, we're getting ready to go to battle against David's enemies, but uh, something a little strange has happened. They were digging a pit for David, and they fell in. And then all the rocks that they had moved out of the way fell on their heads and crushed their skulls. Uh, You don't have to come with those arrows anymore. It's already taken care of. You see, there's two forms of judgment. One is the, that which our enemies bring upon themselves. They fall into their own pit. Remember the story about Haman when he was coming against, against Mordecai and Esther, and, and in that story, he was falsely accusing Mordecai and Esther. He was accusing Mordecai of, of being against the people of God and breaking the law, uh, uh, excuse me, against the people of, of his day and breaking the laws of the king. And, and these lies came before the king, and so the king says, well, build a, build a, a high tower uh, uh, hang, uh, with a noose and hang him on that, and but yet Haman was caught in his own lies, and later maybe I think it was even the next day was was hung on his own gallows. This is what this, this picture is like. That sometimes God will bring the wrath Himself, the judgment Himself, but oftentimes people fall under their own judgment. In other words, the gossip becomes one who's gossiped about. The vile accuser finds himself always being accused of false things in their own life. The the horrors that they are. uh, pouring out upon others keep falling on their own head this is one of God's forms of deliverance and I think it's one of the most interesting and almost it's not comical because it's so sobering but it's almost comical as this guy falls in the pit that he had prepared for David and, and he becomes now the one who is being wounded and crushed and torn apart by the lions that devour last verse and to me boy this is the most precious of all I mean this one when I read this at the end, like he's going through this trauma, he's going through these wounds, he's going through this pain, he's going through this, this sorrow, and, uh, and yet in the conclusion here, he has something to say. You see, if you remember when we started this message, he said, this is a song I want to sing to the Lord about my soul, about my trouble, about being torn in these ways. This, this is a song that I give to the Lord. And David began his song with a wounded heart, Many of you, if you were to sing a song to the Lord, it would be a song of, Lord, I'm wounded, I'm broken, I cry myself to sleep at night. Many of you would be singing a song of cry for deliverance. There's, there's, there's such accusations in your mind. There's such, there's such depression and discouragement because of what you believe about yourself. But, but all of a sudden, David shifts his thinking to the nature and character and attributes of God And he begins to gain faith. He begins to become confident. His fears and his worries begin to flee. Old memories begin to heal. New accusations fall into the pit. God has arisen. God has defended. God has destroyed the accusation and silenced the accuser of the brethren. And now new words come into his song. Uh, Instead of giving due to the accuser's accusation. In other words, giving, giving place to the, the, the Satan's accusations. He says, I will give thanks due to his righteousness. Who's due the thanks? It's God, because he's delivered. Who's due the sense of strength? It's God. Who's the overcomer? It's not the evil one, the enemy, and the accusational person. It's the power of God. It's the omnipotence of God. So David is, is replacing these fears and these worries with thoughts of the attributes of God, He's strong. He's powerful. He's righteous. He's just. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's with me. He's for me. He's not against me. And as he understands the character and nature of God, the song begins to shift from a song of fear and anguish and woundedness to a song of praise. Look what he says here. Verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks that is due His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. I'll sing praise. David begins to say, I know who God is. The best cure for our crisis is not in pop psychology. It's not in self-affirming talk, but it's in knowing God and how He works among men. His trembling turns into thanksgiving. His fear turns into faith. His wounds turn into worship. The accusation is now gone, and now comes adoration of the power of God in his life. He says, I will sing praise. In verse 1, David starts off by saying, I'm concerned about these words. And now his concern turns into a concert of praise. He begins to say, God, you're my deliverer. God, you're my strength. God, why would I worry about the things said about me? Why would I be concerned about the, the, these, these troubling accusations? God, that means nothing to me because I have your word. I have your confidence. I have your support. I have your approval. I have your righteousness. I have your integrity. And I don't need anything to say, anybody to say anything else other than what you're saying about me. To the accuser, you say that. You say that I do this, but I say God has done something in my life. You speak lies. You say to your accuser, but I sing the truth. You accuse. Say to your accuser, but I praise. You think your words are going to destroy me, but I know my God always delivers me. That's the song David concludes this chapter with. It's a song of praise. It's a song of thanksgiving. And as a matter of fact, it's such a, st- a so- strong song of praise that all that we talked about when I began this message, Psalms 2 through 7, David is talking about his enemies, his accusers, those who chase him, those who come against him. He's talking about Saul. He's talking about Absalom. He's talking about rebellions against him. He's talking about nations raging against him. But all of a sudden now, after these seven chapters of trials, tribulations, struggles, it's a long time, and maybe you're in that long process. But as you understand the character nature, the attributes of God, you're going to understand He's for you and not against you. And he has all the power to come against your enemies. And you're going to understand that he can put a song of praise in your lips, a song of joy in your heart. He can put a new song in your heart. And he does this to David at the end of Psalms 7. And if you take a moment, we'll look at this next week when we meet together again. Psalms 8 begins to change. Oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength of your foes. Oh, man, I could go on, but I won't. God, You you see a, a transition here. And that's the prayer I have for you right now in the name of Jesus, that there'd be a transition in their soul, their mind, their understanding. I pray over them, my friends, God, that you would cause them right now to understand who you are, first of all that you're the God of all comfort. You're the God of all strength. You're the God of unlimited resources. You're the God who's for us and not against us. Secondly, understand who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. I am washed, I am cleansed, I am forgiven, I am chosen, I am God's beloved. He loves me, He cares for me, He protects me. He's, he's the shield, he, he holds my shield and I am in Him protected by this great and mighty King. That's who I am in Christ. And now, Lord, out of that, we no longer fear what the enemy says. Let them rage. Let, them, let the nations rage. Let the people imagine vain things. But we all praise our God. We will say yes to the plans and purposes of God for life. We won't be discouraged. We won't be downcast. We won't be diminished. We'll rise up with God and say, God, I'm going to take my place in your kingdom plans and purposes because you have great things for me. You're not just protecting me from the evil one, but you're launching me into powerful moves of God on my behalf that I might become a a kingdom warrior along with you, Jesus. And we thank you for this. Thank you for the book of Psalms. Lord, I pray that this series would continue to touch people's hearts. In these first seven chapters, we've been talking a lot about overcoming the enemy, overcoming warfare, overcoming the plans, wicked plans against us. And Lord, we thank you that you're that God who delivers. And now we move into the time where we can even more and more rejoice and speak about the majesty and splendor and glory and wonder of the great and mighty awesome God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us. I hope you're enjoying this series. And um, you could send us comments if you'd like. Uh, And and, uh, it's a great joy to have the time being with you. Thanks. God blessing on you. Grace and peace to you.